Welcome to Tabletop Journal's Seat Yourself podcast series on the hospitality tabletop industry. Hosted by Dave Turner, Seat Yourself is 20 to 30 minutes of what's happening in the world of hospitality tabletop. Dave is the globally known chief evangelist and editor for TabletopJournal.com. A non-traditional journalist, Dave has spent nearly 30 years as a sales and marketing executive in the world of hospitality. This podcast was originally published on the week of February 17th, 2020, and runs for approximately 35 minutes. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Seat Yourself. Seat Yourself is our 20 to 25 minute podcast on all things in the world of hospitality tabletop. I'm Dave Turner, and I'm your host here at Seat Yourself, and I want to welcome you to this mid-February, can you believe it, mid-February episode of our weekly podcast. And it's great to be back after an exciting Ambiante show, and we'll have more on that show in a few minutes, but probably, like most of you, the very best part of attending this show and others, at least for me anyway, is definitely catching up with longtime friends, and of course, making a few new ones all along the way. Well, on those two counts... The Ambiante Show is exceptional. And for those of you who may not have been able to join us, start making your plans right now for next year, as Ambiante is quickly developing itself into, if not the biggest Hareka show in the world, at least not yet anyway, it's certainly fast becoming the most interesting. And for those of you who may not know, Ambiante's focus is strictly front of the house at this point. And while I had a few concerns about that in the beginning, I actually like the singular focus and the emphasis on tabletop in front of the house alone. Anyway, in addition to the great people, we saw some great products from companies that you know and a few that you may not be quite so familiar with. And yes, we'll be bringing you more on those this week and in the weeks ahead as we like to spread these profiles out over a short period of time. So in addition to our news and product segments this week, we're back with another great 60 Seconds with Shannon segment. This is where we sit and discuss the question of the week with the lovely and the talented Shannon Talon. Shannon, of course, is the well-known category manager for tableware and buffetware at Chicago's Edward Don & Company. This week's topic is mixology and the trends in bartending tools. And then we close it out as we usually do with our commentary segment. And this week, our commentary segment is all about happy customers and what is the not-so-secret ingredient to getting more of them. So you'll definitely want to hear about that. After all, who couldn't use a few more happy customers in their fold? So that's it. And now, let's get this post-Valentine's Day edition of Seat Yourself underway. And, as faithful listeners of Seat Yourself know that we always do, we start each episode off with our stat of the week. This week's stat is 25. That's the number of years it's been since the USA has seen a decline in overall wine sales until last year. All according to global drinks market experts, London-based IWSR. The IWSR's database quantifies the global market of wine, spirits, beer, cider, and mixed drinks by volume and value in 157 countries. And they provide insight into short and long-term trends, including five-year volume and value of forecast. Simply put, they know their stuff. So these fine folks gave us the bad news that for the first time in 25 years, U.S. wine consumption declined nearly 1%. But it's not all bad news. U.S. consumption of sparkling wines increased 4%. In the largest spirits category in the U.S., it's vodka. That was led by an increase of Tito's. If you can believe this, an increase of Tito's handmade vodka of 20%. Must be something really to that handmade stuff, I guess. 
Other spirit categories that showed growth were Mezcal, Japanese whiskey, Irish whiskey, tequila, U.S. whiskey, even cognac. All grew their sales in 2019 in the U.S. And then, unfortunately, beer joined wine and showing a slight decline also, with an overall uh, fall of a little bit more than 2%. No surprise then that the beer companies are running fast towards the hard seltzer category, a category that we've reported on before that's exploding and expects to continue to explode for the next several years. There's always a bright side to these things, however, and I'm guessing that the U.S. customers are in for an era of being able to buy much better wines at much better prices. Good news for consumers, tough news for wine producers and suppliers. And so, that's our stat of the week, 25. 2019 was the first year in 25 years that the wine sales in the U.S. were on the decline. In our opening news segment this week... I want to give a quick recap of last week's Ambiente trade show. Trends, new products, and international business, these have been traditionally the focus of Ambiente in Frankfurt. And you've heard us state before that Ambiente is the world's largest consumer goods trade fair, and it's now grown to over 4,600 exhibitors that come from 93 countries and take up a space of over 300,000 gross square meters of exhibition space. This year, Ambiente was also the first leading trade fair to be affected by the impact of the coronavirus on travelers. And another clearly noticeable factor was the extremely powerful storm, Sierra, that produced tornado-type winds and shut down both air and train traveling in and out of Germany on Sunday of the show. And that lasted for more than a day, right in the middle of the Ambiente trade show. But despite these issues, business in the halls, however, didn't suffer as much as expected, and large numbers of orders were seen being placed throughout the trends and new products platforms. Nevertheless, exhibitors were disappointed with a strong sense of uncertainty among visitors and therefore the absence of quite a few retailers and Horeca Channel leaders. All this being said, Ampeante still drew nearly 110,000 visitors from over 160 countries, according to show management. And those who did travel to Frankfurt benefited from an outstanding ordering environment with many exhibitors offering specials and having an additional time to spend with visitors who came to their stands. And from our standpoint, it seemed to me that nearly all the top Horeca supplier companies were in attendance, along with many of the top dealers and agencies from all around the world as well. And while we've talked about some of the cool new products, and we'll continue to do so in the coming weeks, it should be noted, it seems like today the product's of nearly all types, are excellent across the board. And it seemed to me now dealers, agents, and yes, even hospitality operators are looking beyond the products to decide who they want to purchase from and who they want to align themselves with. Make no mistake, products remain very important. It's just that when there are great products on nearly every stand, people are looking for other differentiators to base their buying decisions. And the soft traffic numbers, well, Perhaps they gave visitors a little bit more time for those types of discussions. It's a larger topic that we'll cover more in the future, and that's how our business is changing. Moving to a place in the trajectory of our sector where systems matter as much as products, where the sustainability of our products take on a higher meaning than ever before, and a time when the why matters much more than your what or your how much. All this seemed quite clear at Ambiente, and we'll be looking for more of that 
at the upcoming shows. It wasn't long ago that having the newest and maybe the coolest products was what mattered most. Now it's a lot more complex than that. Also interesting to note, with all the virus and the weather challenges that Ambiente show management suddenly found themselves dealing with, I didn't hear exhibitors complaining at all. Some, and especially some first-time exhibitors, were very excited about their participation. And those who attended the many presentations at the Hureka Academy were very impressed. Presentations by some of the best talents in our business from all corners of the globe. All this bodes well for Ambiente in 2021 as it takes its next step forward in the support of the Hureka sector. We've said it before, you need a first step before you can take a second. And in our next news segment, I want to give a quick comment on the impact of the coronavirus situation. For what it's worth, it was a major, if not the major, topic of discussion at the Ambiente Trade Show in Frankfurt. It's on everyone's mind, and right, rightfully it should be, especially for those who work in the hospitality and the travel industries. I could come on here and talk about the eight planes held down on, on lockdown at Heathrow Airport, or how Spirits Company Pernod Ricard is already projecting a 2% decline in 2020 sales because of the virus, or any one of a dozen other headlines. But they all say the same things, and that's that the effects of this on our industry will be great, and they'll be long-lasting. So, even if you don't produce your products or even your components in China, tourism and travel has been interrupted in a way that we didn't think at all possible just a few weeks ago. I mean, did you really think that the hotel and gaming mecca of Macau would shut down literally overnight? Well, I didn't. And I'm sure this will get resolved, but I'm not sure it's going to be resolved very quickly. And the longer this continues, the more difficult it will be for manufacturers of all types supply chain people who serve the hospitality and food service industries, and of course, the operators who depend on travel and tourism. From hotels to cruise lines, from airports to restaurant chains, nobody will be immune. So let's hope that those that we believe in can get this to a very quick, find a solution for this as quickly as possible. Keeping this as confined as possible, to me, seems like the best idea until an overall solution can be found. And in the meantime, I would encourage us all, all suppliers, to communicate as much as possible to your customers about what your company is doing to mitigate the effects of all this. Communication will be really, really important. It's always important, but especially at times like this. People in most parts of the world are still going to go out to eat. They're still going to want to travel where it's safe. Let's make sure all of us keep our eye on the ball when it comes to serving our customers in the very best ways we can. So, going forward, I don't think it's right to ignore this terrible situation, but at the same time, we won't go on and on about it every week, unless there's something more substantial to report, of course. I'm just letting you know where we stand on all of this. And in our next news segment, I want to give a shout-out to Walk-Ons. That's a sports bar restaurant chain based in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. The first Walk-On restaurant opened in 2003 in the Louisiana State's Tiger Stadium. And then, when Drew Brees, the quarterback of the New Orleans Saints, who wasn't a walk-on player, gained familiarity with the chain, he invested in it and joined walk-ons as a partner. And since then, walk-ons is a southeastern United States restaurant chain that has expanded to 28 locations, all franchised, and it's growing faster and faster. In 2018, it opened eight locations, and four more were added in 2019, 
and it's on target to add 13 more franchises later this year. And while other sports bars have faced some declines, according to Technomics' list of the top 500 U.S.-based restaurant chains, Walk-On's revenue spiked a healthy 56% in 2018. But Walk-On's successful growth is not what I want to talk about today. It's the launch of their new philanthropic venture, their Game On Foundation, that they've started to help support youth sports in the communities served by Walk-On's. That's what I want to talk about today. As you probably know by now, we continue to say that the hospitality industry is one of the most generous, most benevolent, and most giving industries of all. And Walk-On's new foundation is another great example of all that generosity. Beyond its own donations, Walk-On's will be, fe- will be raising funds for a foundation via system-wide events, online donations, and promotions such as Game On Burger, where they'll donate money for every burger sold during the promotions. With plans to expand to over 50 locations, Walk-On's will have restaurants from Texas and Arkansas all the way over to Florida and South Carolina and all the states in between. And we love it when we hear of tabletop manufacturers, of dealers and distributors, and perhaps especially of hospitality operators that give back to the communities that they serve, all with the aim to improve the quality of life for those who live in those communities. So, big shout out to Walk-On Restaurants and their Game On Foundation. You can learn more by going to their website, walk-ons.com. And in our final news segment, we've got the conclusion of our conversation with noted UK chef Joseph Yusuf. In this segment, Joseph talks about when vessels we use for serving both food and beverage started to take on different meanings. And now, how creative chefs look to find harmony and authenticity both between the food and the vessels themselves. And then Joseph talks about when it all comes together, the dinnerware, the glassware, the flatware cutlery, all coming together with the food and beverage being served, how it engages the dining guests in a truly unique sensory experience and has the potential to emotionally transport them in a meaningful and memorable way, giving them a totally holistic experience that is engaging on every sensory level. Now, Here's Joseph Yusuf for his conclusion. I guess you look at chefs like Ferran Adria, Del Bulli, and he really broke with a lot of conventions of what we consider appropriate tableware, what we consider tableware in general, what, what, what can you put food on. And since then, obviously, it's been used and abused to some degree, um, and undoubtedly you do see some cases where um, th- there's no authenticity in the way that the... the pieces being used to present the food there's no sto- real story or meaning behind what they're doing and that's when it loses that's the same as you know molecular gastronomy when you talk about kind of science and airs and espumas and foams and jellies and you know that's not what molecular gastronomy was about it was all about taking a more scientific approach to food so that when you have great quality ingredients you know how to work with them better to get the most out of them and I think it's the same with um, crockery and tableware in general that you know, unless you are doing something that is meaningful and that the, the, the dish and the food in some way there's that kind of harmonious meeting of the two that you present this overall beautiful experience unless you're doing that you know, diners these days aren't so naive that they're just impressed by a beautiful piece of crockery they, it needs or, a be- or you know a, a, 
um, a beautiful setting on the table. The food needs to be incredible and the experience, the delivery, the service, the people telling you the story of, of the dish is super important. And I think, you know, at Ambiente it's interesting as well because you, you end up hearing so many stories about the heritage and the background of uh, these brands that are creating this incredible um, tableware. And, you know, all of this is enriching chefs' um, ability to be able to entertain their diners and to, to really engage them and to, um, you know, I, I, I always kind of, it seems far-fetched, this whole idea of emotionally engaging people, but it is super important. This, and I'm not just talking about emotionally engaging them as in bringing them to tears. That's not what I'm talking about. You know, it's not that you want people, you know, shedding a tear when they try the foie gras. That's not the point. The, the idea is getting people to engage emotionally in a sense of they're fully immersed into the experience. They're enjoying, they're laughing, they're shocked, they're surprised. There's maybe a bit of trepidation and fear. There's, you're touching, you know, dining is one of the most multi-sensory activities that we as human beings engage in on a daily basis multiple times. So the question becomes, when you're designing a food experience, how can you better understand all the different sensory touch points and design those to optimize the experience for your diner and to design it in a way that is true to your philosophy, your ethos, your brand, whatever it may be, and use some of these wonderfully creative, especially at the table, use some of these wonderfully creative um, service pieces to kind of seamlessly fit into that story and I think that, that when it, so when I'm talking about emotional engagement it's really about that it's not about um, you know a, a Walt Disney tearjerker it's really about well, well Walt Disney said that he would make people cry watching a cartoon people thought he was mad until he brought out Snow White and legend has it, what was it, Clark Gable shed a tear at the uh, premiere. But until then, animation was just a bit of uh, entertainment before the main show. Um, and I think it's the same with dining, that we're not necessarily talking about kind of, you know, dining has never been, uh, or restaurants have never really looked as much in the past at emotionally engaging people, but they do emotionally engage you. You have great experiences. Think about how many proposals and birthdays and celebrations and... Uh, closing contracts or deals happen in restaurants and there's all sorts of emotions that go on in those spaces and I think you know now more and more we are becoming so much more selective about where we go um, how we spend our money how we spend our time there's so much more option uh, there are so many more options out there and I think a big part of it is now is really understanding how to um, if people are going to be going out, they are going to be spending their money with you and their time with you. It's about understanding how to give them great value. And I don't mean value in terms of cheap experiences, but I mean value in terms of giving them really a holistic experience that is um, engaging on every sensory level. There's no question that Joseph Yusuf is an extraordinary talent. Beyond just being a great chef, Joseph understands and is able to articulate why the very best times in all our lives is when we dine with people we love and care about, and why the vessels and utensils we use while dining matter so very much to the overall guest experience. And again, you can learn more about Joseph Yusuf and his collaborative gastronomic project, Kitchen Theory, where he explores the multi-sensory elements of dining by going to his website, kitchen-theory.com. 
And when it came to interesting products and companies that we saw last week in Ambiente, France's Rival Porcelain was at or near the top of the list. Begun over 200 years ago, Rival is a company that simply continues to reinvent itself. And it's still family-owned and run. Rival had some of the most talked-about new products at the Ambiente show, all within the Horeca Hall of 6.0. And rather than having you hear our thoughts, we were fortunate enough to sit with Rival CEO and President Olivier Pesso, and we asked him to tell us about his company's newest creations. Here's what he had to say. Thank you for giving me the chance to talk about uh, our novelties. Uh, so it was been very busy, so finally it's the last day and we can, can take some time to talk. Um, um, Rival, as you know, is a family-owned company for 250 years old, and uh, we love to reinvent ourselves permanently. And uh, this year, we're proud to launch two main novelties. One is talking about pricing, uh, where we try to be a little bit more aggressive to, compared to what we were doing uh, recently, because uh, we felt that we had to cover also this segment in terms of um, price positioning. So the new line is called Adeli, and is offering a wide range of products focused on coupe plates and flat plates uh, in black cassaron finish, which is our signature material as well as a new ivory color, which was a small uh, quantity in our, in our offer, and now it's uh, becoming a, 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 grow, a bigger a bigger range. And uh, the response is fantastic. People really appreciate the quality, the design also, and the originality of the, the, the range and the price. So feedback is, uh, looks quite promising for, for the future of this added range. Uh, next novelty and maybe the hottest of this show regarding the feedback we got is now. Uh, now we're being written with a no dot w, which means no waste. Uh, I'm very proud to say that um, we are the first porcelain manufacturer being able to launch a fully recycled uh, range of products. What do I mean? Uh, we have been working during the last three years on a new clay called Recycle, and this clay is fully made with recycled materials. Um, we make our own clay, we use water, we use raw material, ceramic raw materials, we mix all this, and then this clay goes into the process. But during the process, we lose some clay, we clean the machines, we we have uh, spared uh, glaze, etc., and all this ends up at the end of the process. And uh, we realize that uh, we should do something with that. And our commitment for next year and for the planet is to save 80 tons of raw materials that we were normally recycling in the dump. Finally, we managed to, from this um, waste, let's say, we managed to do clay, which is called recycle. And uh, that which uh, all of us now know to do a new collection called Now. And this Now collection is now made, fully made with this uh, recycled ceramic and available in three finishes. Rough, with no glaze. One, uh, another one with white glaze, which is also a recycled glaze. So the combination is recycled by itself also. And uh, uh, blue, this blue being also recycled glaze. So we have absolutely... Uh, uh, happy and uh, excited about the, the response we we receive. Uh, everybody is interested in recycling, as you know. It's not even a trend. It's a it's a huge uh, move, and uh, we're happy to, to to be the one leading 
the way uh, about this topic and offering maybe for the first time uh, such a um, product to the industry. And as I said before, Revolve Porcelain is a company that continues to reinvent itself generation after generation. And at Ambiente, you must know that everyone was talking about the issue of sustainability and the new no-waste dinnerware collection that Olivier mentioned. It's just simply amazing in that regard, helping to make Revol a leader in our sector for recapturing waste from their production and recycling it back into their now collection of dinnerware. This is definitely a must-see for those interested in sustainable dinnerware products. You can check out their now collection and all the other tabletop goodies from Revol by going to their website, Revolve-Pro.com. Now 60 Seconds with Shannon, where Dave sits down with Shannon Talon of Edward Allen Company and asks the question of the week. This week, Shannon discusses mixology trends. Hi, everybody. We're back here with Shannon Talon. Shannon is a category buyer for Edward Don and Company out in Chicago. And Shannon, we've got a fun question for you today, I hope. Uh, we've seen uh, it's about bar and mixology. And who doesn't like that category? Right. <laughs> the We've seen a lot of attention paid to bar tools and mixology tools, whatever. Is that a, a trend that is going to continue? I mean, it seems like all of a sudden I'm seeing shakers from all kinds of companies and bar accessories for mixologists and all that. Is that something that's going to continue? And if if it is, where does it go from here? I, I love a mixology question because, you know, who doesn't like a little cocktail in the evening? There you go. That's <laughs> um, what I'm talking about. I will full disclosure say that, um, you know, at Edward Don, uh, the mixology category, the uh, bar category uh, is outside of my wheelhouse a little bit, uh, managed by my friends, Matt Claude and Adrian Simos. But as we talk about, uh, I often talk about with them, the how we cross merchandise glassware and the, those barware products like the shakers and the cool, you know, the Japanese jiggers and all that kind of product. What I've learned from uh, my trusty counterparts is, you know, they really do feel that those those tools um, are going to they, they have staying power in the market because they meet a trend. But as we see. Uh, mixology being a financial driver for operators, meaning, you know, they can derive a lot of profit, you know, and increase menu prices, uh, with their drink programs in the bar. That a lot of the focus is really turning to the ingredients in the drinks, whether it is locally sourced ingredients or even more exotic, unique, uh, ingredients from other parts of the world. Uh, you know, we often see drink trends mirror some of the food trends. And so we're really seeing operators start to focus on that a little more. Um, maybe, you, you know, unique mixers and syrups and things like that to create certain drink profiles. So that the glassware and the barware tools uh, are going to support that. And we do think that, that those cool finishes and those cool items are, are here to stay. Uh, but a lot of the operators are shifting their focus to how they make sure the drink is 100% on point uh, so that it sort of speaks for itself. Seems like mixology has become uh, part entertainment and and, and certainly uh, uh, part uh, beverage enjoyment because it's uh, there's a lot going into it, whether it be a lot of thought put into it now uh, for, from uh, everything from the merchandising on the on the menu, cocktail menus, to the idea of uh, lower alcohol uh, beverages. So uh, mixology seems to be a category that's exploding in a lot of different directions, but it's really, as you said, uh, also a high profit category for the operator. So 
Yeah. And I think we're going to see glassware follow that. You know, that'll help dictate some of the trends that we see in the tabletop category of, of drinkware. Now, here's Dave with this week's commentary. This week, Dave talks about how happy employees equal happy customers. Hi, everybody. The other day, I came across a list of the 10 most customer-focused companies from last year, and it got me thinking again on just how we can all make more happy customers and keep them that way. Oh, and just for the record, two of my favorite hospitality companies were among the 10 that were mentioned. Chick-fil-A, the quick-service chicken-centric restaurant chain, of course, and the global hotel brand Hilton Hotels. Two fantastic customer-experience-driven companies. And while we probably all have our own list of companies that we think provide great customer experiences, hopefully the company we work for is among them. And so the question often becomes, just how do we do that? Company leaders often ask, how can my company become one of those companies that is known throughout our industry as a leader in providing not good, but great customer experiences? Well, before you go there, consider this. A not-long-ago study by Harvard Medical School suggests that bad moods are very contagious. And on the flip side, studies have also shown that those of us who are surrounded by happy people are 15% more likely to be happy ourselves. I could cite various other studies, but the idea of happy employees equal happy customers is hopefully not a new concept for you. In fact, I love the quote from Herb Kelleher, the former chairman of Southwest Airlines, when he said, Employees come first, and if employees are treated right, they treat the outside world right. The outside world will use our company's products more often, and that will make shareholders happy. That really is the way it works. Herb Kelleher was always known as a straight shooter, and I love that quote from him. So by now the question has to be, how can I make my employees happy so that they can go out and create more happy customers for our organization? Well, noted customer experience guru Shep Hyken has come up with five things to consider when you want to transform your organization into happy warriors for your organization's cause. Number one, offer meaningful employee development. Employees want to feel there's an opportunity for advancement within your organization that they work for. I can suggest to let them know their options and how they can get there. If they feel that they have a solid career path ahead of them, they'll be more inclined to provide great service to customers, all the time knowing it will also benefit their own long-term goals. Number two, make training a part of the overall culture of your organization. This goes back to employee and career development, and it goes far beyond the training a new employee receives during the onboarding process. Employees want to gain new skills that will make them even more successful in their current positions and potentially lead to advancement. You need to also provide ongoing training and coaching that teaches employees new skills because those skills that they will help them ultimately shine through in all their customer interactions. And in today's fast-changing world, don't forget about upskilling so that your most valued employees stay that way. Number three, show the employees that they're being supported. Interaction between leadership and employees is key to building upon the lessons learned in training and coaching sessions, according to Hyken. And feedback and praise are critical to employees feeling that they're making a difference. Good managers who create a healthy, caring, and supportive environment. And all this will help cultivate the business's future leaders, who in turn will help manage the overall customer experience. Number four. 
Create a fun work environment. Now, fun doesn't always mean having a party, although certain kinds of fun or social events can often add to employees' happiness. Hyken believes that even companies with heavy structures can create a positive environment that employees can enjoy being a part of. In fact, Hyken uses F-U-N as an acronym for Fulfillment, Uniqueness, and Next. For employees to be fully engaged at work and with your customers, they must feel fulfilled with their employment at your company feeling that their unique talents and interests aid in their success, and be excited about what's next. Now, what's next could be the next big product, their next big project, or maybe just being excited about coming back to work the next day. Even small gestures to make a workplace more enjoyable can influence the level of service and patience that employees deliver to customers. And number five, give rewards and recognition. We've talked frequently about how recognition is critical to creating a culture of success. So beyond creating a fun work environment, it's important to recognize employees for a job well done. A formal rewards program where leadership recognizes top employees can foster camaraderie. Hyken suggests you can take it a step further by empowering all employees to nominate their colleagues for their above and beyond performances. Rewarding strong employees for great customer service interactions in particular will not only set an example for the other employees, but it may also inspire them to go above and beyond themselves in providing excellent service to the customers that they engage with. And don't forget, that recognition doesn't always have to be so formal. Often a quick, well done, from a company supervisor or leader means much more than any award or formal recognition. So there you have it. Five quick tips to consider as you work to create your personal army of happy warriors for your organization. The customer may be king, and you want your kings to be happy. That's for sure. But always remember, it is your happy employees who will keep them that way. I'm Dave Turner. I'll see you next time. Well, that's it for this week's episode of Seat Yourself. And as always, I want to thank the Rockstar Category Manager, Shannon Talent, for joining us today. And of course, I want to thank you, our listeners, for joining in as well. And finally, I want to make a special thanks to the Edward Don and Company for sponsoring in part this episode of Seat Yourself. Edward Don and Company, everything but the food for nearly 100 years. And remember to be sure to check out their most recent tabletop advisor. You can download it from their website, www. Dot don dot com. Just go to the homepage and scroll down to the publication section. We'll see you next time, but always remember, Tabletop Matters. That concludes this week's episode of Tabletop Journal's Seat Yourself podcast series. For more news, information, and insights on the hospitality tabletop industry, be sure to check out tabletopjournal.com.